Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. It's the last book in your Bible. Let me just bring a brief word of greetings. Caruso Bible Church in Puna and the Minute PTS and Grace Community Church give you a greeting. Hello in the name of Jesus. Lisa and I love OBC. We always feel greatly blessed and encouraged and get energized, revitalized after we visit with you. And we hope in the future that we can stay longer than just three or four days. We may come and stay three or four months and and bug you to death. Uh, This trip will only be three or four days, but in the future, maybe we can do something different. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. If therefore you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Verse 4. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be thus clothed in white garments, and will not, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we desire to see you, Lord, so we pray that you would open up our eyes to your glory and that as we look at your word, your Spirit would, through your word, minister Christ to us, Lord that we may become more like him. Lord, I need your spirit to preach, and we all need your spirit to move within us, that we can hear the word and obey the word. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hate hypocrisy. I especially hate hypocrisy in other people's lives. I have a friend of mine, and he's been a friend for maybe 10 years, and I recently hired him. I have to start a, I have a secular job now. I have to change from a tourist visa to a work visa to get back to India. So I'm working with a friend of mine in a media company. Well, we had to hire a man to do artwork. And I've known him for a long time. And I've always thought he's a good man. Well, his artwork was, it was bad. It was very sloppy. And his artwork is not usually like that. He's very professional. So a friend of mine, the boss, and I began to ask this art designer about his life. We we pressed him, what's going on? The more that we pressed him, he confessed to us that oftentimes he would not go home at night. He has a wife and two kids. He would go out and gamble and see prostitutes. And that this had been going on for five years. At the same time, he was going to church. At the same time, he was receiving biblical counseling. But there had never been any 
genuine repentance in his life. So my boss and I, we told this, this man who professes to know Christ, we told him, you are a hypocrite. And we don't work with hypocrites. You need to get your life right with Christ. After I have said that to him, you know what has happened in my own life? Is that I realize that I have to now look at my own life, examine my own life, and realize that not only should I hate hypocrisy in somebody else's life, I should hate hypocrisy first where? In my life. It's very easy for me to look at this man and say, you're a dirty, filthy, crummy scumbag of a husband and a poor excuse for a Christian. If you are a Christian, you're a hypocrite. Very easy for me to say. And it's true, he is. But what about when you look at your life? You know, all of us in this room, if you're in Jesus, you still have remaining sin. Sin may not reign over you, being in Christ, but sin does remain in you. And that remaining sin, it loves to turn you and I into little pious hypocrites. And I believe this passage this morning confronts this very thing. Look with me at the end of verse 1 where Jesus says, I know your deeds that you have a name, that you are alive, but in reality you are what? You are dead. And I believe what Jesus is telling the church at Sardis is this. If you want to be an effective lampstand, if you want to be an effective witness in Sardis for Christ, then you have to kill hypocrisy. If you as a church, as Omaha Bible Church, if you want to have an effective witness in Omaha, in Nebraska, in the U.S., and all over the world, you can have all the Bible classes you want to. But if you as a church, if you don't declare war on your own hypocrisy, then you will not be effective for Jesus. Or say it in a positive way. For you to be a powerful witness for Jesus and to impact Omaha, to see Omaha, to see the city by and large come to know and delight in Jesus, you have to declare war on your own individual hypocrisy. So it's not that you say, I'm going to declare war on the hypocrisy of my wife. I'm going to go to war on her hypocrisy. Yes. It's I'm going to take war on my own hypocrisy. And then together as a church you do it, and then when you become a church, I'm not saying that you as a church are hypocrites, but all of us can tend to have some hypocrisy in us. And if we don't deal with it, then that's going to affect the overall witness of the church. One of my fears for the church in India, for the church I helped to pastor, K. Russo, is that the people there to be a Christian can be very much part of the caste. They can be very much part of the culture. My last name is Williams Lawrence Peters, so I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And for many Christians in India, they're hypocrites. Their Christianity is very, very, very shallow. At times, it can be that way. And what Jesus is saying to this church in Sardis, if you want to be the effective witness that I saved you for, then you declare war on your own hypocrisy. And we see in this passage just... Two basic commitments that will help us to declare this war on hypocrisy that's within us. Let me give you this first commitment to help us declare a war on hypocrisy. Here's the first commitment. 
confront your hypocrisy with Christ. If you want to declare war on hypocrisy and to have consistent victory over it, not perfect, but consistent, then confront your hypocrisy with Christ. It starts with Jesus. You have to look at Jesus. The only way that we can deal with our own hypocrisy is by looking at the person that was never, ever a hypocrite, and that was who? That would only be Jesus. You can look at Moses, Elijah, Peter, Paul, James, John, whoever, because they have remaining sin, there would always be some hypocrisy within them. But Jesus, who's been through more temptation than we ever have, was never a hypocrite. If you want to attack hypocrisy, confront it with Jesus. Look at verse 1. And look at what it says about Jesus. He, that is Jesus, who has the seven spirits of God. Now when he says this description of the Spirit of God, John is not being like a Benny Hinn and saying that the Trinity is composed of 11 members. That's not what he's saying. The word seven is a type of a metaphoric expression. And the word seven, the number seven, could be used for completeness or fullness. So here in verse 1, Jesus is basically saying, I am the one that has the fullness of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God hovers above the earth. The Spirit of God ministers to the earth. He is omnipresent. And the Spirit of God is powerful. And Jesus, He is the one that is Lord over the Spirit. We say the Spirit of God, or we say the Spirit of Christ, or the Spirit of the Son. You remember in John chapter 16, the Spirit came to glorify who? Jesus. To exalt Jesus. It is His Spirit. The only way, brothers and sisters, men and women, that we can ever defeat and declare a war on hypocrisy is by the Spirit of God. Even the great Apostle Paul said what? Second Corinthians 3, 5. I'm not sufficient in and of myself. My only sufficiency is of the Spirit of God. So how do we do this? How do we attack it and defeat it that we can become effective for Jesus where we live? You confront it with Jesus. And that means you look at Jesus. You don't look at yourself and start off with, well, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read through the whole Bible. I'm going to buy the book, the Bible through a year. And if I commit to doing that, I'll defeat my hypocrisy. Well, maybe not. You might end up becoming an even bigger hypocrite than before. Because you didn't start off by looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, you have the fullness of the Spirit. And the way that I can have the Spirit impact me more and work more powerfully in me is by looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, I need your help. May your Spirit powerfully move within me. I don't have what it takes to deal with my hypocrisy. And that's interesting because as Jesus deals with this church, you'll note in verse 1, he says that your reputation is that you're alive. Your reputation is that you're powerful. You're a big, happening, modern, moving church. You're a hip church. You're cool. You're rich. That's your reputation. But actually, he says what? You are, are dead. You see, our problem, I think at times why we can be hypocrites because of our remaining sin is We're not looking at Jesus. We can look at other churches. We can look at other people. We can look at other pastors. We can look at the world. 
and we think we're okay. We're just like everybody else, or maybe we're better than everybody else, and we're not looking at Jesus as we need to. If you really want to declare war on hypocrisy and defeat it so that you can be effective for him, you have to be looking at Jesus Christ. And notice even else what he says in verse 1. Look at what he says in verse 1. Not only does Jesus control and have the power, not only does he have the fullness of the Spirit, but even the seven stars, and we don't have time to go into it all, but the seven stars are basically representational of pastors, of, of elders, or those in authority in a church. And what Jesus is saying is that pastor, that elder, that in authority in the church, actually, he's mine. Jesus is Lord over the church, in other words. The authority in the church is who? It's Jesus. Now, my friend, who is really pursuing sin, as I said, he's been in counseling for five years. For five years. One of his problems is that he will look at the pastor there, and this pastor, when this man verbally repents, will say, okay, the Lord forgives you. He'll rub his back. He'll say, keep pressing on for Christ. This man will be involved in sin right away. He'll be going back to see the prostitutes. He'll repent again. Supposedly, come back. The pastor will rub his back, say, it's okay. Let's pray. This man continues in his sin. I think one of the reasons why is he's looking at the pastor and he's not looking at who? At Jesus. You see, we can always look at a pastor and fake our way, right? We can come, I can come on Sunday morning and preach a sermon and fake it. You can come on Sunday morning and sit down and sing loud and fake it. You can fake me out. I've had people fake me out before. I'm not Jesus. I'm not God. And I believe what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's telling the church in Sardis, the spirit of God that is able to know your very intimate thoughts That's my spirit. Those pastors in your church, they may not know what's going on in your life. You know what? I do. They belong to me. I am their Lord. If there is hypocrisy that is growing in your life, then I would say most likely it's because you're not impressed with Jesus. You're impressed with yourself. You're impressed with the world. Maybe you're impressed with the church, whatever, but you're not impressed with the glories of Jesus. I love singing those songs that we just sang. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God. And if your eyes are focused on the worthy Lamb of God and His glories and His majesties, and even earlier in Revelation chapter 1, it talks about the fire of His blazing eyes, then you realize that He sees you always, and He is your Lord. Your omnipotent God and King and Master. And the way that we attack our hypocrisy is not by, at first, making these commitments and tighten our belt, but it's by looking at Jesus and saying, without Christ, I can do nothing, Lord. Use your Spirit powerfully in my life. Now, what do I mean when I say hypocrisy? Well, hypocrisy is a game. You're faking, you're, you're posing, You're pretending it's a charade. Let me just give you an example. It's easy, as I said, for me to come here and preach. In one sense, I can just come preach. You know, I teach the Bible at least five days a week and about six to seven hours a day. 
So it can very easily become a job. And it can be very easy for me to come home. Lisa, where is my japati? Where is my food? I had to wait 10 minutes for my food. That can happen in all of our lives. Is that at church and with God's people? Very godly. Don't raise my voice. But men, when you go home, husbands, when you go home, your relationship with your wife privately is different. Relationship with your kids is different. That's, that's hypocrisy. I think about this. How many sermons do you hear and you take your notes and then Sunday night, if I came to you and said, hey, what was the outline of Pat's sermon? What was the outline of my sermon? Most of you would say what? I would say, of my own sermon. I have no idea. I don't know. And then what happens during the week? I think actually for most of us, I'm not saying all, but for most of us, you take your notes. Maybe you go over it. Maybe you don't. You put it in your Bible, right? Thank you, Jesus, and go about your week. And in a sense, that's hypocrisy, and it's very easy. I'm not saying you have to read your notes and go over them, but it's very easy for us to hear the word. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. Thank you for dying for me. And then our lives don't change. That's hypocrisy. And we all have to realize that even though I'm a believer and even though I'm growing, there are elements of fakeness in me. There are times when I pose to be, I pretend to be somebody I'm not, even with God. And maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, but yet you go home and you look at porno on the Internet. And Jesus will forgive that. But that will wreck your entire life and your family. We need to deal with hypocrisy because if we don't, then the Spirit of God will be pounding us and working on us and grieved and then we won't be pleasing Him and we won't be as an effective witness for Him. Well, how do we attack it? How do we kill it? First of all, we confront our hypocrisy with Jesus. And we look at Him and we cry out to Him, Lord, I need Your Spirit powerfully to move and work within me. I don't have what it takes. Now, when we do that, that leads to the second commitment. And the second commitment is this. Make authentic changes in your life. You see this in verses 2 through 6. Make authentic changes in your life, right? To be a hypocrite means you're not genuine. You're fake. You're pretending. You're, You're playing a game. And again, even though you are a believer, yes, sin doesn't rain on you, but that remaining sin, does it want to go easy on you now that you're a believer? See, when you become a believer, Jesus, by the power of His Spirit, He changes your nature. You're not under the power of sin. Sin doesn't reign over you. But that sin that is within you, it still wants to do what? Does that sin that still remain in you want you to be like Jesus? Does Satan right now go, okay, Tom's a believer, Pat's a believer, hands off? No. Satan and the sin that is still within us want to do what? Cause havoc and wreck our lives and make us hypocrites. We always have to remember that. How do you kill hypocrisy? You go to Jesus. He's our great high priest. Once you go to him and ask him for his power and his grace and his spirit, then 
you begin to make real changes in your life. Look at verse 2. Wake up. Open your eyes. So you look at Jesus. You see His beauty. You see His glory. His supremacy. His sufficiency. And then you say, Jesus, give me the eyes to see my own hypocrisy. Don't we need to do that? Even right now, you can ask the Lord, as the word is being preached, Jesus, show me my sin. You know, all of us have sin that we don't see in our life. Ask Jesus to show it to you. Ask Jesus to open up your eyes that you can see. And at times, you have to shake yourself. And this is an imperative. God is saying, do this by the power of Jesus. After you look at Jesus, shake yourself awake. You have to do it. I can't go up to you and shake your body. Look at your hypocrisy like this, my friend that's in sin. I, I, I wanted to slap him. <laughs> you cheated on your wife. His wife now has a disease. He has two kids. You know, I want to kick the guy. Can't do that. I can't do it for him. He has to see it. This morning, you have to see it. And that's why first you go to Jesus. You go to Jesus. Lord, move your spirit within me. And then you pray that God help me to see my own areas where I pretend to be godly, but I'm not. Now, when you do that, then you have the opportunity to look at the text to strengthen yourself, to get healthy. Verse 2, wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. For I've not found your deeds, your work, your ministry, your service for me. It's not completed in my sight. It doesn't bring me glory and honor. Now, there were some people in this church that were living for Jesus. That was very evident. There were other people that you would look at them and you would scratch your head and, and be like in Princess Bride where you'd say, he's not dead. He's only mostly dead. You look at him and you're like, I don't know. You know, that lady, I, I don't know where she's at. She looks like she's dead, but... She professed to know Jesus. That's kind of the situation that's here. We, make, we have to make authentic changes. How do you do that? You wake yourself up, and then you have to get strong. You have to get healthy. See, hypocrisy is worse than cancer. Right now at Caruso, at church in India, we have a married couple. The man has cancer in his lymph nodes, and the wife, and they're in their 60s, she has MS. But one thing that brings me joy, great joy, is they are in love with Jesus and they hate hypocrisy more than they hate cancer and more than they hate MS, they hate sin. Why? Because hypocrisy can take away your soul and hurt your relationship with Jesus like cancer and MS cannot. And so Jesus says, strengthen yourself. Well, how do you do that? How do you strengthen yourself? To overcome hypocrisy. Let me just give you a few ideas right from the text. You can see this in verse 3. First one is this. Focus on the gospel. You see verse 3. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Which was what? That was the gospel. They had been given the gospel. Paul's saying, you got the gospel. Remember that. If you want to make authentic changes in your life, you look at Jesus. You say, Jesus, open my eyes that I can see my sin. Lord, I need to get healthy. How do I do that? You remember, Pat said, Jesus. You remember the gospel. 
What's the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus lived a life I cannot live, died a death I cannot die. He raised again from the grave. I can never do that. And one day he's going to return for me. It's not what I can do for God. It's what Jesus already did for me. I'll never forget Eric Raymond on his blog one time said that loving the Lord God through your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself is not the gospel. Do you know that that caused a problem in India? His statements on the blog, even of some of my work buddies. The gospel is not you loving God. The gospel is not you loving others. The gospel is God loving you, becoming a man and dying for you. And so here, to deal with hypocrisy, Jesus is saying, remember the gospel. It's not what you can do. It's already what Jesus did for you. It's objective. It's over. It's final. Remember that. Why? Because we can get into legalism. We can get into Colossians chapter 2, and we can say, okay, I'm going to read the Bible through in a year. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to drink. I'm never going to see a movie. And that will attack my hypocrisy. No, that will make you an even greater hypocrite. It will. You have to deal with your pride. And that's why you go to Jesus and you go to the gospel. You look at Jesus and, Lord, I can't do it. Give me your spirit. Lord, open my eyes. I can see my sin. I see my sin. I need your strength, Lord. And when you see your sin, it can be, you have to be careful because we can be, I'm going to tighten my belt. I'm going to memorize the whole book of Ephesians. And when I memorize the whole book of Ephesians, then I'll be able to attack my hypocrisy. Well, it's great to memorize the Bible. It's great. But you can memorize the Bible like a Pharisee and go straight to hell. That's not how you deal with hypocrisy. You go to the gospel. I can do nothing to save myself. It's only by the power of God in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Once you do that, then look at the text. What does the text say? Look back at verse 3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, and keep it. Keep it. Well, what does that mean? Well, I referred to this earlier. What's the way to overcome hypocrisy? What's the way not to be a hypocrite? What you know, obey it. So even if you are a young man, six or seven or eight, and you hear a sermon, obey it. If you're an older woman and you hear a sermon, what do you do? You obey it. We are hypocrites when we pretend to receive the word of God. We carry our Bibles, we praise God, but then we go out the doors and then we don't obey the Bible. Just think, if the next six months you consistently obeyed one point from the sermon, consistently meditated on it, and practically applied it in your life, what would happen? Just obey what you know. That's why the first, when we, you look at Jesus, you say, Lord, show me my sin. You ask him for strength. But then you look at the gospel. Once you look at the gospel, once you have that foundation, you say, I need to obey what I know. What is it in your life that you know that you're not obeying? I don't know you. I don't know what it is. Maybe husbands, maybe you're not leading your wife in the word of God. And you're surprised that your wife doesn't follow you. She doesn't obey you. She doesn't respect you. Well, maybe it's because you're a hypocrite. At church, you pretend, but at home, you're fake. 
Obey what you know. Now look at what Jesus says. After you receive it, after you keep it, you hear it, he says what? Repent. What does repent mean? It means you say, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong, this is sin, this is hypocrisy, I want to change. Lord, in you there is redemption, the forgiveness of my sins, according to the riches of your grace. Lord, pour them out on me. I need your forgiveness. Jesus, forgive me and change my mind. I want to give up this sin in my life. You are more valuable than any sin in my life. I give it to you, Lord. That is repentance. This is the way that we make authentic changes in our life. We say, I'm going to deal with my sin. Are you willing to do that this morning, this week? That whatever hypocrisy in your life, are you willing to say, Lord, this area, it is hypocrisy. You are more precious, more glorious. You are more beautiful. You have loved me faithfully. You've never been unfaithful to me. I will give up this area to you. When you do that, then you'll be killing hypocrisy. And as you kill hypocrisy, God's Spirit will move in you mightily and you'll become more effective for the gospel than ever before. Well, what happens if you don't do this? Well, look at what the text says. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I like my hypocrisy. I like this secret area of sin that I have, and I'm not going to give it up. I cherish it. Well, look at verse 4. Sorry, look at the end of verse 3. If therefore you will not wake up, if you don't arouse yourself and do something about your hypocrisy, here's a promise, not that I make, but that Jesus himself makes. I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. What does a thief do? He comes and he takes something from you. I don't think this is talking about the second coming. The second coming is not dependent on your or my hypocrisy. Okay? It's dependent upon the timetable of God, the Father. I think this is talking about Jesus himself is going to deal with you. If you or I refuse to give up our hypocrisy, Jesus is not going to take it sitting down. In India, we would say if somebody was getting uptight and they were kind of just being agitated or anxious, we would say, Cheltai hai. Aram hai. Take it easy. It's going to be okay. Relax, okay? Aram hai. Baba. That's what we would say. This means to chill. Jesus is not going to take a chill pill. Okay? With, your, with my hypocrisy, it scares me. Because as I said, I can come up here, I can preach the Bible. In terms of knowledge, I know more knowledge now than I ever did before. But that scares me because I have more required of me when I see Jesus face to face. I am more accountable now and then. And if I'm living in hypocrisy, Jesus himself is going to deal with me. Men, women, brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus, he loves you so much to confront you and to give you the rod of education. And you will face consequences from him because he loves you. And hypocrisy dishonors him and will hurt your life. Please, if you're living in some hypocritical sin, confess it, deal with it. If you need to get help from a pastor, get help from a pastor. Jesus, he's not only the lion. I'm sorry, he's not only the lamb of God, he's the lion. Deal with your hypocrisy. Now, what's great is, 
and verse 4 to 5, briefly, Jesus, I believe, gives some motivations for these Christians to deal with their hypocrisy. And he talks to them about these rewards that we are given as we deal with our hypocrisy. Rewards may not be the the best words. Let me show you this in verse 4. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are what? They are worthy. And this blows me away when I read this. They are worthy. Now, if you look at verse 5, it says, He who overcomes shall be thus clothed in white garments. Who is he who overcomes? Well, the person that overcomes this hypocrisy, that's not living a game, that's not living by the reputation of man or the world, the person that overcomes this sin, they manifest their forgiveness. It is not as you, if you did with hypocrisy, then you go to heaven. That's not the idea. The idea is that as you deal with your hypocrisy, you will be manifesting that already you are saved. A saved person deals with their hypocrisy. An unsaved person cherishes and loves their hypocrisy. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 15, 8, to the Pharisees, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And so as we deal with our hypocrisy and seek to kill it, we will manifest really what we have in Jesus. And it will be made aware to us. Look at verse 4 and verse 5 again. He mentions these white garments. And we won't take the time to read it. We don't have tons of time. You can look at it on your own. But Revelation chapter 7, verses 10 to 14, talks about these people that have white garments. And why do they have white garments? Because their white garments were washed where? In the blood of the Lamb. See, we have to be careful because I can say, I'm going to deal with my hypocrisy. I'm going to make 12 commitments to live a better life, to love my wife more, to serve people more, to to live out each sermon before I preach it. Now, those things are good, but I can do those in the flesh if I'm not careful and try to earn God's favor. We can't do that. How do we deal with hypocrisy? It's all by grace through faith. My forgiveness is never by what I have done. It's by the death of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I want to be uh, under God's favor. Can I get there by the sacrifices that I make? No, never. Never. It's not the sacrifice that you make. It's the sacrifice that God made in Jesus. And look at what he says. Look at this. And this freaks me out. Look at the end of verse 4. For they are what? Worthy. Who is the worthy one? Who is the worthy one in the universe of all praise, honor, and glory? Jesus Christ. But in this text it says what? For they are worthy. Romans chapter 3 verse 12 says, They all together have become rotten to the core of their being. Useless. They are worthless. But here Jesus says what? They are worthy. Is it because these few in Sardis, is it because they never sin? No, the Bible says all have sinned. And they keep sinning. It's because they've dealt with their sin. They've gone to Jesus and they've said, Jesus, 
forgives me. And as you know, the Bible teaches that there's this great exchange that on the cross, Jesus takes the sin from us and he gives us his righteousness. He clothes us with his perfect life of obedience to the law of God. That's what you're given. This is the gospel. In and of myself, I am not worthy. But Jesus before the Father says, Tom is worthy. Tom is worthy. And I would cry out, I have no worth except for Jesus Christ, His life and His death and His resurrection. This is how we deal with hypocrisy. Our righteousness, our forgiveness is never out of what we have done. It's out of what Jesus has done for us. And then look at what this text says. I will not erase his name from the book of life. When you and I are consistently dealing with our hypocrisy, it manifests that our salvation is secure. Killing your hypocrisy doesn't save you. We're saved by grace through faith. But when you are dealing with your hypocrisy, and I think, brothers and sisters, you know what I mean, and you can understand this text. When you are dealing with your hypocrisy, isn't isn't there this authenticity that you have with God? When you see a sin and your life defeated, doesn't that just thrill you to the center of your being and your God is real, Jesus is real, the Holy Spirit is real. I have tasted God and I have seen that He is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. And what happens is this testimony of the Spirit of God. You belong to me. I started this good work in you and I will finish it. I will never erase your name. And look at this other blessing from God that comes from dealing with our hypocrisy. And listen to these words. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Isn't that wonderful? Have you ever wanted to be popular? I've wanted to be popular. I always wanted to be chosen when we play football, basketball, baseball. I love sports. I'm vertically challenged. And so, you know, I wouldn't always be picked first, maybe further down. That used to always get to me, even now. You know, pride can be so severe in all of us. We want to be first. I want to be popular. Get this. There's going to come a day when Jesus Christ, King of the universe, King of the universe, is going to stand before the Father and say, I know Thomas Edward Shuck, and he is mine. He's mine, and in me he is worthy. Have you ever wanted your name to be spoken out loud to a movie star? You know, if somebody could say to some movie star, yeah, Tom is my friend, you know, Susie is my friend, Lisa is my friend. Wow, wouldn't that be great? That, that's, not, that's, that's like talking to an ant, less than an ant. Because that's your creature. Jesus created the universe and he says, as you are dealing with your hypocrisy, it's going to manifest this fact that because you are in me, I'm going to say to the Father, you're mine. Why not deal with your hypocrisy now? These are precious blessings from Jesus. These are motivations to get us to deal with this hypocrisy that we have within us. How do you kill hypocrisy? 
you confront it with Jesus Christ and cry out for his spirit to work. Secondly, you make authentic changes in your life. You go to God, say, wake me up, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I want to obey what I know, Lord. Don't deal with me in judgment. Deal with me in mercy. Thank you for these blessings you have given me. Lord, thank you that you love me so much. By your grace, I want to be true. Now, as I said, Jesus, he's never been a hypocrite to you. Jesus has never been unfaithful to me, not one time. All of his promises are true and amen in Jesus. We can be like Jesus by his grace as we look at him and his spirit works within us. Beloved, seek to kill hypocrisy. Or as John Owen said, it will kill you. It will deal a death blow to your walk with Christ. Hypocrisy serves Satan, not God. Hypocrisy is your enemy. It's not your friend. By God's grace, as you look on Jesus, you can and you must kill hypocrisy. For the glory of Jesus, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for its clarity, Lord. Lord, I would confess, Lord, I I have remaining sin and there is hypocrisy in my life. Deal, Lord, with my hypocrisy. Lord, we pray that you would show us your beauty, that we could taste you and see how glorious you are. And then out of that, that we would just be disgusted, not with other people's hypocrisy, but with our own games that we play. We thank you for your faithfulness and love. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.